Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode Terry Labani of the GSP, where we'll be talking about the Rolex 24, the uh, Konica Minolta Acura uh, winning the Rolex, three straight wins, and four out of the last five for Wayne Taylor Racing, and uh, Corvette, of course, winning in GTLM, and other great stories throughout the field in GTD, LMP3, and uh, I'm forgetting one of the classes there. Uh, uh, GTD and uh, LMP2. LMP2, yeah, yeah. LMP2 uh, as well. And that tells you how bad I am. The, or actually, that was a good story with the era of motorsports with the, you know, a six-year-old drew the paint scheme for that car. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Super Bowl with uh, Brady versus Mahomes, who's going to come out on top in Tampa here on Sunday. We'll also talk about news of the day, a little bit of uh, GSP roundup action to, for the first time here really in 2021. And uh, with IndyCar news, with um, Supercars news, and other things that have come along before we uh, do our next episode here, uh, with Jeff Brown, uh, writer and um, fan, motorsports fan, photographer up here in the Northeast, out in the New Hampshire area here in the next episode. We'll uh, have him on. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. It was a great weekend of racing and things starting to get back underway. We're getting closer to the 500 and um you know, the Rolex 24 is a really great race uh, all throughout uh, Saturday and Sunday and just a really competitive uh, race uh, throughout uh, the whole time. Yeah, it was a tight, tight uh, deal in, amongst most of the classes this uh, this weekend on uh, during the Rolex 24. And it was a um, a great job by the uh Konica Minolta Acura team with uh, Ricky Taylor returning home to the family organization along with um, with uh, Philippe Albuquerque who will stand out as probably who went and if people didn't know who he was even though he's been an Audi factory driver and he's been around for a long time you know him now because dude went off yesterday and and was was carrying the mail to go and win that race for that team to win three straight races for the the Wayne Taylor racing team it's four out of the last five Wayne Taylor won two as a driver now he's become this sort of mogul in this race um after Ganassi moved out of the class uh they Wayne Taylor's kind of taken over since the DPI category came along. It's um, he was able to win with Cadillac multiple times with some great drivers. Um, Gordon gets all the credit, even though he did nothing. Uh, Fred Alonzo, uh, Scott Dixon, Kamui Kobayashi was with them for the last two years, was trying to go for three straight wins as a driver overall in the Rolex 24, which nobody's ever done, not even the great Peter Gregg, which they mentioned on the telecast. Uh, but, you know, it was the uh, Konica Minolta team uh, to go win 
and Acura winning uh, a winning a long distance race. Uh, it's been kind of a, a a tough deal for them to go and win uh, win these uh, endurance races during the their time with with um, Penske racing for the last three years. But uh, immediately Wayne Taylor racing gets this team gets this car and uh brings back one of his sons with uh ricky taylor coming back in uh with his teammate from last for the last three years uh elio castro dash neves um and his full-time teammate felipe albuquerque and then alexander rossi who now adds his name to a list uh him and elio as drivers who have won both the rolex and the indianapolis 500 uh and they held and they were in a battle with the zero one Chip Ganassi team, former uh former uh Wayne Taylor driver Renger Van de Zanda was there, was battling, it was him, Scott Dixon and a, his full time teammate Kevin Magnuson, who made a great debut in America. No shock, his dad did exactly the same thing like twenty years ago. Um, got run out of Formula One and then came to America and made a career. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen for Kevin Magnuson. Um, he's very he's very level-headed, but he's really he's got a big right foot just like his dad. And he's he's got the killer instinct that Chip Ganassi wants. You have Regner Vanderzanda, who's a who's just a tough tough out who has been doing great work for for taylor wayne taylor but wayne taylor dropped them for whatever reason but i guess we know why because philippe albuquerque did what he did um just a crazy crazy deal there um with a oh one had a cut tire that uh cost them um they had multiple cut tires so it was part of part and parcel for why uh they were knocked out in the end from um from the overall uh, discussion, they ended up being a minute and seven out of uh, the overall victory after 24 hours, of course, uh, finished fifth in class, but they were much better than that. Ricky, uh, the 10 won the 48, uh, which if you watch the telecast, you would have never known that anybody outside of Chase Elliott uh, Jimmy Johnson or, or Austin Dillon drove in this race and Austin Dillon probably should not have been allowed to drive in the race because he's a moron um, and he drove into oncoming traffic during practice because he's Austin Dillon. But then when you consider he drove for Rick Ware, he's Austin Dillon. It all kind of makes sense that, you know, he would do something like that. So. Um, cheers to Austin Dillon for being a jackass and impressing Bo Barfield with the worst move ever done uh, in his in his in his estimation after all these years of being involved in motorsports. Um, Johnson Kobayashi, of course, had a great run. Simon Pagano, Mike Rockefeller, they finished 4.7 seconds behind in second. The Mazda of Olivier Jarvis, Harry Tinknell, and Jonathan Bomarito finished third, and they were 6.5 seconds behind after 24 hours. A lot of problems for that team. They couldn't get the car started. Uh, they had all kinds of issues, wing issues, rear wing issues, but they somehow or another were there right at the end. 
the 60 Meyershank Racing Acura and their first race back in prototypes uh, with their deal with Acura, with Dane Cameron, Olivier Pla, and of course Juan Pablo Monterrier, and um, AJ Allmendinger, uh, who who if he wasn't on in the car, he was on TV. So credit to him. But then when you have the smoking hot wife, I think he has all kinds of energy. So um, that was the top four: Vanderzander, Magnus, and Dixon. Then you have Felipe Nazar, uh, Mike Conway, Pip, Pippo Durrani, and William Clyde Elliott II, who um, he looks like he he's like a crappy bank robber from the South, or looks like somebody that would be on a wanted poster um, these days. And based on his uh, performance in the car, he would be wanted for being the slowest driver in class. Uh, granted, he didn't have that much time, of course. And But when you consider how much time they sat there licking his balls as though he's the greatest thing that's ever driven a race car, like he's Kyle Larson or something, um, you would have thought he'd be able to do a little better than he did. At least Jimmy Johnson was in the ballpark with his teammates. I mean, he wasn't Kobayashi or Rockefeller or even Pagano, but he was within range. Um, and that's really why they were able to do what they did. Um, I guess before we get into other classes, Josh, um, your thoughts on, on the overall with the DPI category and Acura getting a Rolex 24 win. Yeah, I mean, this uh, race and the overall class and DPI, which obviously is the class that's going to get the overall win, it was thoroughly competitive throughout the entire race. Um, and even though it's, the stats are going to say that um, the 10 led the most laps and the 0-1 led the second most laps, it seemed like this race was going to come uh, be a battle between uh, the 10, the 0-1, the 48, and um even even the 55 and the 60 um, with all those uh, cars and drivers like it I felt like that at different points in the race like any of those cars were um, in the lead and had had the lead were able to hold it for multiple points in the race and it was just um, all all of them really I mean except for the 31 of course like did a, a good job I think um, throughout the race and um, with Vanderzand, you know, also, um, you know, he was he was coming at the end before that flat tire. Like he made a charge uh, to get the lead from um, Albuquerque, but then he kind of backed off, and then he made a second effort, and then he had the flat tire. But you know, he also had the penalty too, which I thought was a little bit questionable with uh, the I guess the the spinning wheel, uh, uh, yeah, rear yeah. wheel or whatever, like. When you're on the jack, yeah. Yeah, on the jack, you got to have that. I thought that was a little bit questionable because um, they didn't, the TV didn't really see it. And I think Townsend Bell was trying to uh, describe the penalty and, and he said he couldn't really see it on from the broadcast. And um, they did say, like, in the night it had happened and, like, that it, they should be more careful. But, um, I feel like, you know, that's like one of those technicalities that could go either way, I guess. Um, so, I mean, if they didn't have uh, that penalty happen to him, you know, maybe he would have had a little bit more chance to uh, go for the lead at the end. Um, and maybe he would have actually won the uh, overall race itself. Because, um, you know, when you have to come back from that, you know, you put extra 
you know, effort on the car and you're driving a lot harder. So maybe that played into the factor with um, getting that uh, flat tire at the very end with like 12 minutes left. But um, I mean, between those two cars, they, you know, they were really quick, um, you know, throughout different points of the race, you know, whether it was during the uh, daytime and or the afternoon or, um, you know, during the night and the morning hours, um, you know, they, they both, uh, 10 and the, um, zero and both did a fantastic job throughout the race. And, um, you know, the, the 48, like I thought they might've had a shot. Um, Kobayashi was really fast, like during like the middle portions of, of, a, a fuel run whenever he was in the car. Um, you know, he was, uh, a lot faster than, um, it seemed like the other cars in the class and, you know, the, he just really knows how to uh, pass cars, like uh, under braking and out, you know, having to outbreak them in the corner and and you know, picking up positions and all of that. That was I thought it was really impressive. Um, Jimmy did a, a pretty good job too. You know, like he grabbed the the lead at midnight, I think. Like after, um, I think he was taking over Pagano, and uh, he, he was able to keep the car up in the lead uh, for a little bit uh, during that portion of the race. And, you know, like you said, he he wasn't that far off from uh, his teammates. Um, you know, he started out the race in uh, in the car and he was the I think the one of the last guys in the DPI class um, for his stint. But then I guess as the race went on and he got more time in the car with more stints, I, I think he improved and was definitely able to uh, have similar lap times to his teammates. Um, and then, of course, the 31, everybody was talking about Chase Elliott and his debut and, and you know, like they, they focus way too much on Chase and, and Jimmy. But like, I mean, I think I think Chase, like, you know, the problem with um, stock car drivers going into a, a thing, a car like a sports car and even an open wheel car is the fact that there's more downforce and the fact that you have to drive the car a lot harder. And, you know, that takes a lot of time to get used to. And, and I mean, for Jimmy... Um, you can say that, okay, well, he has had experience in sports cars before, so it's not like his first time around uh, driving this thing. But, you know, it's been a long time since he's driven in a sports car, uh, although, you know, he's had some testing with open wheel as of late. And then Chase Elliott, you know, he was, um, you know, he hasn't had as much time, I guess, as Jimmy. So maybe maybe that's the difference there. But, um, you know, it was classic Chase Elliott. Uh, I hate it for my guys uh, type thing that he always does whenever he doesn't get the finish that he wants. Um, you know, he's always too hard on, on himself and all of that, uh, which I, I guess to me it gets a little tiresome overall just to con- continuously uh, blame yourself like that. But, um, you know, early on, I mean, they had the pole, and I thought they were a pretty fast car too. But then uh, in the, you know, I guess like, early early morning or whatever they had some mechanical troubles and um ended up falling out of contention and i guess at the same time since they were already out of contention you know they were able to give chase elliott a uh more seat time in the car and just give him more experience and so i guess if he liked it enough to say he's willing to come back i mean i guess that's good for him and uh well i guess we'll expect to see him maybe next year and or in the following years in uh in this race and then also, I think you know, we also have to talk about the the number five with uh, the Mustang sampling car with uh, Vautier and Sebastian Bourdais and uh, Louis Duval. Um, I mean, that car was pretty competitive too. I mean, they led 106 laps, but then they got taken out in an accident in the middle of the night. And 
ended up not finishing the race. And I think, you know, if they didn't crash into the uh, 16, uh, I think, I think it was a GTD car or might've been a, um, a GTLM car. Yeah, it was car. a 16 GTD. And yeah. uh, there was one other car, I think, the that sent them. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if it was a, if it was a 16 that sent them or if it was somebody else, I forget. I think it was a Mercedes or something. Yeah. Yeah. They got sent, uh, either one of those cars. I got, they got sent and, uh, they crashed and going into uh, the first turn. And that was, uh, you know, an unfortunate incident, but it happens in sports car racing when, when you have, uh, you know, multiple classes and one class going a completely different pace than the other classes. And, and, you know, you have to be able to maneuver traffic, um, throughout, uh, the race and sometimes things like that happen, but um, you know if they didn't get into that accident, I'm sure they would have had something at the end of uh, the 24 and been able to maybe have a, a three car battle really like because I mean the 48 and like the other cars like yeah they led laps but they didn't lead as much as the as the 10 and, and the zero uh, one and you know if the battle had come between the 10 zero one and uh, the uh, five if things had gone right for um, those two cars then it would have been a, already um, icing on the cake of what was a pretty epic race for the overall class and really for the uh, just for the entire race itself yeah the number five car was definitely uh, one with the French connection they had a lot of pace uh, and I think if they were able to make it all the way there, it would have been tough for the rest of that group to be able to deal with them. I mean, when you look at who really was there the whole way, the 10 and the 48 were basically there the whole way, or most really the 55 came on late after a lot of problems. The 60 really wasn't a factor. Uh, Juan Pablo came out and said that to Malsher on uh david malsher lopez on uh motorsport.com uh you know aj allmendinger was saying it on the telecast the whole way uh the 01 was there the whole time they were a factor you know the 31 was there until they had their problems but votier duval are gonna be a tough combination this year in the full-time series but they have a lot of points to make up now uh as it stands uh for uh, the world for the the IMSA we- uh, WeatherTech uh, championship uh with since the 10 car is not going anywhere the Mazda so they've got a little bit of a gap the 60 the 01 the 31 has a lot of points to make up as well going to Sebring um going into the uh, LMP2 category, um, that was the Era Motorsport, uh, number 18, Ryan Dial gets another Rolex win, not overall, but uh, in class, sixth overall, uh, with uh, Kyle Tilly, Dwight Merriman, Paul Loupe-Chatin, and the Era Motorsport Orica, three Oricas on the podium, uh, it was John Ferrano, Gabriel Aubrey, Timothy Bure, Matteo Vax, Vaxavir in the Tower Motorsport uh, car. Uh, 
number eight. That's uh, I think. Uh, why am I forgetting the the strategist Peter Barron's car? And then the eighty-two, the Dragon Speed USA, the second Dragon Speed car with Christopher Meese, the former Audi factory GT factory driver Eric Lutz, Lux, Lutz, Eric Lux, uh, Devlin De Francesco. Uh, who's going to be in Indy Lights and Fabian Schiller. Uh, They were trying to win three straight in class. Uh, The main car got wrecked early in the race uh, before Renus VK even got a chance to drive it. I don't even think Ben Hanley was able to drive it either. So their two best drivers never even got in the car and they were out of it very early in the day. So, and then the 52 car with Ben Keating, who ended up doing uh, driving in two different classes, uh, they had mechanical problems, but they were leading early in the race and they were up front for a lot of the early part of the race before their mechanical issues. Mikkel Jensen, Scott Huffaker, Nicola Lapierre, uh, they were probably the best car uh, for the major for a good part of the first for the first part of the race and then they fell off um the uh austin dylan cody Ware shit show uh finished what is it nine laps behind the race winner and second place they finished on the same lap 19 seconds the gap there in lmp2 um We'll uh, go with it this way. Era uh, Motorsport were, throwing, were doing a paint scheme that was drawn by a six-year-old. Um, it was really cool and um, nice to see. I, I don't know. I, they, I don't know the backstory. It's bad on my part to not know the backstory. I'm sure they talked about it, but I just wasn't paying attention enough. But uh, credit to that team and that organization. Ryan DL has been a grinder for many years in this sport, both in open wheels and in sports cars. So credit to him and that organization to go and get a Rolex. Yeah, it was a uh, good stuff for the, uh, Riley motorsports and Ryan Dale to get, uh, that class win. And, you know, and LMP two was pretty competitive as well. Um, uh, it was uh, a lot of, a lot of battle between, um, that team and also the tower motorsport uh car and uh just just so you know even even the austin dillon their car they finished in 10th overall which i guess that says something about the other two drivers than it does about austin dillon and cody Ware. but they get to share the credit i guess um but dragon speed also they they had a, a great run in that race and um you know the the other Dragon Speed car too could have maybe been competitive, but then um, they ended up falling out of the race pretty early with the um, mechanical issue, I think. And um, no, they hit the wall oh, coming out. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, going into turn one, the whatever driver yeah. like lost okay, yeah. brakes or had a stuck throttle. Yeah, or they something. they lost the brakes. Okay, yeah, I was reading the results and I I remember that, but then the results say it was a misfire and I was thinking it was something else but um yeah that that car could have been pretty competitive as well um because uh, i mean i i think highly of the dragon speed team and ben ha- ben haley's a pretty good driver um and you know he he um 
has burned himself in other series, but he pulled it out of yeah. his ass to yeah. put the car in the show at Indianapolis a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah, so that yeah, that stuff was good, but um you know, those LMP2, I mean, we we kind of don't really focus on that one too much, obviously. I mean, the uh DPI is mostly the highlight and you know, maybe GTLM gets a lot of talk too, but um I mean, they they put on a pretty good show as well. I you know, what I have to say about that and then um I guess we can um talk about GTLM as well. Um you know, GTLM they we all thought it was going to be Corvette racing, and it, and it yeah. was, and ended up being um, with both the three and the four finishing in uh, first and second in their class, and eleventh and twelfth uh, overall. And then they they're going to pull the narrative of oh, it was twenty years after Dale Earnhardt raced in the twenty four and the three car one and everything, which that that card's overplayed, you know. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, RLL in the twenty four, John Edwards and. Um, Gusto Farfus, Jesse Crone, and Marco Whitman. I mean, they they uh, were able to challenge uh, the uh, GTLM uh, for their uh, class victory and going for three in a yeah, row. They were going, trying to go for three in a row. Yeah. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan with the BMW, but um, unfortunately they weren't able to get it. Yeah, yeah, and also the uh, 62 Risi Competizione. Um, they were pretty competitive as well. I thought. Uh, they they had the lead a couple times I think uh, in GTLM, but then they fell behind in uh, Corvette racing. Ended up getting uh, first and second, and I thought it might be another battle like we had a few years ago with the three and the four. But then uh, Jordan Taylor ended up pulling away I think, and you know it's funny after the race they did the burnout and he almost wrecked. And of course, NBC didn't even catch that on camera, and I had to get that off of YouTube from uh, David Land there. So uh that i guess that was pretty interesting and then also there's the storyline with garcia testing positive for covid in the middle of the race and then no longer having to participate which i guess stinks for him but then also uh for the rest of the team hopefully nobody else uh ends up uh contracting the virus or anything like that um but uh the, which is not surprising considering what we're in right now but at the same time you know the uh, it is still kind of crazy. I mean, in, in another sport, in baseball, in the World Series, it happened with the Dodgers and uh, someone testing positive in the middle of the last game of the World Series. But you know that um, things like to, that happened. He went out and celebrated. Yeah, he anyway. went out and celebrated, celebrated anyway. But like, uh, I I think here, I think they quarantined him as soon as he got the positive result, uh, which is good on on the team's part. But we'll have to see if there's anything else that comes out of that. But uh, you know, the GTLM. Uh, also, we have to give a shout out to uh, the WeatherTech car for crashing on the first on the start of the race. I mean, that's that's very uh, reminiscent of US 500. There, they must yeah. have been trying to do something like that. But um, uh, it was a pretty good race overall in GTLM as well. I mean, Corvette winning again as they've come to dominate the race. But at the same time. Um, it was uh, not as easy as maybe what we thought it was with challenges from uh, Ray Hall and BMW and Rizzi Compositioni. And we also have to note that this is, uh, I think they said this is the last race for GTLM in the uh, Rolex 24. Is that correct? Yeah, it's going to be as it stands. Uh, this will be the last Rolex 24 with the what is called GTLM, which is GT Pro. 
uh, here in the U.S. Uh, that'll be the same thing the rest of the year uh, because they're going to be moving to a GTD uh, GT3 format for their GT classes, but there's going to be a deviation between Pro and AM, which right now GT Daytona is a Pro-AM category, but they will have a Pro category specifically, which is where Corvette's going to go and do whatever they have to do to um, make their C8R for um, uh, the GT3 spec. Uh, of course, Cooper McNeil and company, uh, they have so many different options. They can go and go back to Ferrari. They can go and run the Porsche still. Who knows what they'll do? Uh, the BMW with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, they may be able to come back, run full time again because it might be more cost effective. Uh, Risi Competizione might be able to come back and run full time. So it might actually be better overall on the American side. Um, even though this year it's going to be a Corvette benefit, but then when you consider it's basically been a Corvette benefit since 2001, you know, it, I mean, you've had moments here and there, you had the four GTs, you've had Celine's, you've had Aston's, all that. Um, now, I mean, Doug Feehan's gone, uh, you have, um, Dan Binks is gone, but Corvette still wins. They're never going to go away uh, as long as Chevy wants to be involved. I'm surprised Chevy doesn't decide on running a Corvette prototype a la what they did many years ago with Fat Felon, but they'd rather do the Cadillac. You know, now that they got that black wing deal, you know, if you have a two-door car, wouldn't it be cooler to go and run a Cor Cadillac and then, but then it's a Corvette. I get it. You know, it all kind of makes sense. Uh, the, the GTLM went the way we called it basically, um, I, in the preview show a few days ago, um, before we get into GT Daytona, which was definitely interesting. Uh, a lot went on there, a uh, deepest field there was, uh, out of all the classes, Got to give uh, credit to Riley Motorsports, Gar Robinson running the 74 Ranch Resort car, um, famous, made famous by first by his father, George, and now he's taken over the deal and they're running LMP3 this year. And they had Scott Andrews, Oliver Askew, and Spencer Piggott. Uh, I said it on the show and Josh can co-sign on this. I have no idea how Oliver Askew is a silver. Um, and the fact is, when you have Oliver Askew and Spencer Piggott, who are two of the fastest American drivers there are right now, period, and neither of them have been given a really good shot. Um, they both were hosed in IndyCar you're you're basically working with like gas and you're just saying all right let's figure out a way to keep the flame and under control because these two guys are absolute beasts they won by three laps it could have been more uh when you look at jao barbosa the sean creek motorsports car good job by them good first time in the rolex kenton coke uh 
you know, you have the the Duquesne, which is the old um, Norma chassis uh, in the LMP3 category. Maurice Krantz, Air Lorenz, Kenton Cook, and Stefan McAleer. McAleer is a really talented driver, and he's really good in the LMP3s. That car is a good-looking car, too, but uh they had some problems the the 91 car which had the win sponsorship with Uren Bleakamol and uh Dylan Murray which is going to run the full season um they had problems as well but uh that that'll be a competitive class it's a limited races they'll be running uh probably all the enduros it looks like and then uh some of the other uh bigger some of the tracks which have bigger um uh this like a bigger width like whatever uh length races so that they can run um along with their specific championship which is a very competitive championship uh going to the gtd uh we went over the lamborghinis have been dominant in recent years they've had a lot of um uh speed and it makes sense that they would be good at Daytona. Um, but it was a Mercedes uh, benefit uh, this year. Two Mercedes finished first and second. Uh, you had another Mercedes in the top 10. Um, definitely a Russell, a team that had that's runs in the Michelin Pilot Challenge had Moro Engel uh, closing the door there at the end um to finish the race and uh the 75 car sun energy one uh most famously kenny abel uh is the owner he's run nascar races and of course he sponsors uh william clyde elliott the second um luca stoltz raffaele marciello two uh mercedes factory drivers there uh, they finished, uh, there was 16-second gap. Brian Sellers, Madison Snow, Corey Lewis, Andrea Calderari, uh, Lamborghini factory driver for Paul Miller, trying to get a to repeat this year in the number one car. Uh, Sellers, of course, married to Jamie Howe. Uh, he's a lucky guy. Um, Paul Miller, he's out from his, his uh, dealerships are located here in the East Coast in New Jersey and elsewhere. So in the East Coast, so um, they, they're they around there. Trent Hinman, Patrick Long, Jan Halen, and uh, Bockler and the Wright Motorsports 16, who was involved in that deal um, at night uh, with the uh, five car. Uh, I'm trying, it was Zach, I think it was the FAF Motorsports 9 car. I think that's who it was who was involved in the uh, contact there. Uh, He was the one that turned the 16 that got into the 5 and uh, ended it all deal. But the 16 was able to recover. Uh, They had wrecked two cars. Uh, Their Ryan Hardwick had wrecked a couple of cars during testing during the roar the week before they had a third chassis they had to buy from um forgetting what the hell's his name uh he's a west coast guy james safranis uh you had to get that chassis to go and run this race and they finished fourth um so credit to them uh ian james roman DeAngelis, darren turner and gun 
in the harder racing, Aston Martin finished on the lead lap. Uh, Ageless Bill Oberlin, Robbie Foley running the full season, of course, for Turner Motorsports. Uh, Reed and uh, Colton Herta uh, finished sixth, a lap down uh, with uh, Rude Charlie Eastwood, Ben Keating, and uh, uh, Richard Westbrook in the TF Sport Aston there. And then there was a Ferrari, Nielsen, Sarah, Mann, and Crisoni. I think they were running much better than that. They had some problems. Mike Skeen, the TA2 champion, um, he had to get he got a call in from Allegra Motorsports late because one of their drivers tested positive for COVID. So he got called in. Daniel Morad, Billy Johnson, Maxi Book, who's a, a Mercedes um, factory driver. So that was a pretty loaded lineup, but they had some problems uh, during this race. Um, only finished ninth in class. Uh, Earl Bamba. Uh, Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen, Rob Ferial, and the Hardpoint Porsche didn't really have the pace. Um, they were eight laps down. They had problems. And then uh, Magnus, Archangel, Acura with Potter, Lally, Pump Alley, and Farnbacher in the Speed Racer paint scheme. Uh, they got into an, a couple of incidents during the during the race i think john potter had a cut tire early and they had some other argy bargy going on um thanks uh calvin fish uh i had to to lead to their uh finish there and then um you mentioned the faf motorsports porsche matt campbell lawrence van thor so two factory guys van thor and robichon are going to run for the championship uh manicalvo and uh, Zach Veach are going to be running for Vassar Sullivan, but they had problems. Robert McGinnis and Townsend Bell there. Ed Jones, who's going to be running full-time IndyCars this year uh, with uh, Dale Coyne, Curtis, Ryan Briscoe. Uh, so uh, what is it? Nicole Mansky's husband and Gomez in the Scuderia Corsa Ferrari. And then Andrew Davis, J.R. Hildebrand, Don Yount, their NT Sport Audi, the only, it's the only Audi in class, that's something. Um, and then the other Acura, or the other Lexus with um, Hawksworth and Tealitz and the legend Oliver Gavin, uh, after 19 years of Corvette, you know, he's driving GTD and Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, they had mechanicals and other issues. Uh, the and then you had the two Grasser uh, racing team Lamborghinis bringing up the rear, which is surprising since the Grasser team has been really good at this uh, race in recent years. So um, takeaways on uh, GTD with Mercedes uh, going and getting a one-two. It sounds like Formula One. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about sports cars here, and this is the Pro-Am class for the uh, Rolex 24. So, Well, they... isn't Lewis a pro and, and, and Valtteri the Am? Well, I guess, yeah, when you put it like that, that, that is correct, I guess, in a way. 
But, I mean, here in this class, I mean, I guess they really are trying to run up the score on everything because if they're doing this in Formula 1, now they're trying to do it in GTD. Man, they're, they really got to run up everything. Uh, maybe they got to go uh, get a thing in NASCAR or something like that. Maybe they'll be the next manufacturer, but uh, I digress. No, uh, for this team, for Windward Racing, I mean, this was their uh, first race, I guess, in, in uh, the category, and... I think you know that shows that they you know when when everything goes right um you know they were able to pull out the win and I mean I guess you can say it's an upset victory because of that with uh it being their first race and then in the category and and then also the Sun Energy car with Kenny Habel who um I don't know how he's a race car driver but he is uh they they were able to somehow finish second uh despite him being dead weight i think uh no disrespect intended um just a a good race i think for um amg mercedes and then the gt3 i think uh they all have to be proud of their runs um as well and then we talked about the 16 uh right motorsports car and they got in that crash with the number five uh, DPI Mustang sam- sampling uh, Cadillac, and you know, we I think in the lead up to the race, uh, Jan Halen was saying that uh, this car could be a, a potential winner. Um, and I guess I guess it, it, while it didn't happen, I mean, you can say that you know they were able to get a pretty good finish on their class. They finished fourth overall, and I guess they you know they weren't that far away from getting a, a top three finish or, you know, maybe even a, a class victory, but um, I guess they had a good run as well. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, Bill Oberlin as well. And, you know, obviously one of the highlights was while he was getting out of the car and they're making a driver change, uh, they're putting fuel and, and the guy dr- or the car drove away and he got fuel spilled onto his face. And, um, you know, he took that one like a champ and, and got it off his face and then soon afterwards i think he they said he was in the motorhome and took in a shower and had uh started eating breakfast or something like that so uh that was an interesting highlight from the race um that's uh kind of out of the um, norm from what we see but uh something that was uh definitely a scary highlight i guess but then also the you know how he handled it uh, was pretty humorous i think you know, you said take it like a champ, and it reminded me of uh, uh, Mason Moore on uh, one of her uh, tattoos that she has in in a specific region. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I mean, that that was interesting early in the race when, um, when Bill Oberlin, uh, who's been driving since, uh, since I was barely alive, uh, and he had a lot more hair, but he still has a lot of hair, and he still bangs big-breasted blonde chicks, and um, and he's he's ageless, and he's driven BMWs, uh, the three series BMW. He's driven all the way, drove prototypes. He flipped over in a in a BMW prototype uh, many years ago at Road Atlanta. Uh, he's he. He's passed high to my family at home uh, in wins in IMSA. I mean, that's uh, and, he, and they're going to be a competitive force here. Um, 
during this championship for the full season uh, in the GTD category. So the fact that they were able to uh, only be a lap down after everything they went through is a good sign for them going to uh, Sebring in the 12 hour, which I think the this car will be able to deal with uh, pretty well. Uh, the the bumps and everything that goes along with Sebring, and uh, you know the Porsche is more suited towards Sebring too. Uh, we'll see what the Mercedes and the Lambos can do at uh, at Sebring, but they have basically a month and a half to prepare. So Aston Martins, of course, they got a lot of uh, data. Uh, with the GTLM side of things and the WEC side to see if they can go and be competitive as well. Um, yeah, we'll go and do a little bit of uh, GSP roundup talk here before we get into football. Uh, there's been a little talk. We'll we'll do this. Juan Manuel Correa, who was involved in the uh, who was seriously injured in an accident that took the life of Antoine Hubert in Formula 2 in in 2019, Juan Manuel Correa, American driver. Um, he's been able to uh, go through his recovery. He was driving sim during the COVID time, and he was... Um, driving with one hand and uh you know like the the point is he's had a long road to recovery and now he's going to be able to uh return to art which is a one of the best teams in formula three uh they were up there um they were up there this last year um and uh with with uh, what's his name? Uh, Low Dalton Sargent. Um, or no, that's Prema. Sorry, ART is a is one of the top teams though, and um, Juan Manuel Correa is going to be in there, so that'll be great. Um, Sebastian Philippe, former um, IndyCar driver, uh, he also got seriously injured in an Indy in a crash. Uh, with Will Power when Will Power broke his back at uh, Sears Point back in 09. Um, the, that'll be something to see. Hopefully Juan Manuel Correa can do well, uh, move himself back up. Now that's something. Ferrari consider giving Alexander Rossi a full-time Sauber drive. That would have been a better idea than what the hell they did. Um, because Sauber sucks, but it would have been better than what the heck they probably had in their car. Um, there's a bunch of guys in formula one getting COVID, you know, like, uh, now Pierre Gasly just came out and said, he's got COVID, um, Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, you know, six overall acted like another week up live. There's face bigger challenge. Regular testing regimen requirement is not active during the off-season of paddocks and respond. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it, let's let's just hope that for the sake of Formula One and for the grid, that once everybody has to be there 
for the races here in basically six weeks time they'll be able to be cleared um of course sergio perez tested positive for covid lewis which we still i mean this is going into like circa 1993 ayrton senate territory with lewis hamilton um you know with him not having a contract uh but you know he had he had covid then he showed up at abu dhabi and was not his usual self uh so it's no joke and you got three of the young guns uh three of the best young drivers in this series all getting covid so possibility with carelessness possibility with any number of reasons why they um got covid and what they're trying to do uh, hopefully they'll be more careful and uh by the time formula one actually starts they'll be uh ready to go everybody will be ready to go um going into the indycar series testing at sebring um patricio award for arrow mclaren sp leads uh alexander rossi coming off of his rolex 24 win by uh 13 hundredths of a second on the fast lap time joseph newgarden third colton herda in the 26 gainbridge car fourth oliver askew uh testing the number 29 uh andretti autosport car which is interesting subbing He's for the honor, over yeah for james, james. hinchcliffe who will be driving that car full time. But of course, Oliver Askew, who won in LMP3, who is going to make a shit ton of money this year because he's a silver. Um, Felix Rosenquist, who's driving for Arrow McLaren SP this year, in uh, who replaced Oliver Askew and um, left Ganassi. Uh, Takuma Sato. I think that was a misprint there. He shouldn't be in the 39 car, but um, maybe change his number. Who knows? Um, Connor Daly, Green, Green Rehall, uh, Renus VK, who's not able to even drive at the Rolex, William Power, Pagano, Hunter Ray, and uh, Scotty McLaughlin in the PPG car. I uh, was at the tail, but the reality is you're talking about 68 hundredths between first to 14th, and you're not even – there's some guys missing from here. The Penske's showed up, Ed Carpenter showed up, Ray Hall, Arrow, McLaren, Andretti. Not even all of Andretti is here, the full-time team at least. Um, you know, you got the, – it's – there, the Ganassi guys aren't there. You, the Ganassi guys were there last week with Dixon and uh, Jimmy Johnson and uh, um, Alex Pillow and Marcus Erickson. They were there last week. You had, I forget who else was there last week for the IndyCar test, but um, this is, I mean, unfortunately, we're not going to have an IndyCar race for a couple of months here it's going to be uh april probably early april late march early april whatever to get um indy cars going but 
this is going to be a very tough, uh, tough deal to to be competitive, let alone uh, to to be up in the top of the field, to be to be relevant, to just be relevant. You know, because he's it's the the Scotty went and said it on on his Instagram post. He's like, this is like the most competitive field there is in motorsports, and, and I mean it. It's true, and when you consider that um, Dale Coyne uh, racing right now is going to have Ed Jones coming back to the team after driving the 19 car a few years ago. Now he's going to be driving the 18, uh, for, um, the seal master car. The 19 car is, uh, now going to be the 51 for, um, uh, Rick Ware racing. Uh, they're going to run two cars at times this year. So there'll be a three car team at times. The 51 car is going to be full time. Um, and they're going to run probably, uh, Roman Grosjean and, and there, it looks like they might have, um, and, you know, they're going to have, uh, the, Oval drivers, I thought they were going to have Pietro Fittipaldi drive that car, but um, he drives number 51. His his number in Formula 1 was 51, but um, I guess they're going to go with Roman Grosjean. Uh, but I don't think he's going to run ovals, so they're going to have to have somebody to run ovals. And then there's also the notion that Cody Ware is going to run the Indianapolis 500 and run multiple races this year. He might be the guy that fills in the ovals in that car. So that will be something. Uh, Cody Ware driving the Indy 500. I mean, he's not milk and donuts level bad or Guido Daco or some of these big time scrubs. Uh, but yeah. As long as he doesn't have uh, pace. I mean, as long as he has pace and doesn't wreck himself, it's fine. Yeah, as long as he doesn't kill anybody, I think that's fine. Uh, that's really about all that he's worth. Uh, there's guys like him that have ended themselves, uh, years ago, um, is kind of ilk. So we'll see what, if he has pace, we'll see how many cars show up for the 500. It'll be, it, it might be hard for him to make the, make the show, uh, being what he is relative to the kind of talent that'll show up. Um, Catherine Legg. Uh, being a great example with a Chevy, I would assume Penske would probably put some backing behind that with uh, Peretta to make sure they make the show. So I would think that would be a hard uh, nut to crack to go get past that car uh, amongst others. So and Andretti is going to have like 18 cars in the field. So, you know, that'll be a tough out too. So uh, thoughts on uh, the IndyCar testing and, uh, Pat Paddle Award, uh, doing what he's doing, which is being as fast as he possibly can be, which has always been his thing. Yeah, I mean, for Paddle Award, I mean, he was one of the better, uh, driver, young drivers in the series last year. And, um, I 
always thinking of him for some reason as being his rookie year last year, but it wasn't. Although I think last year was his best opportunity in the series, and um, you know, with him leading and being quickest in Sebring, I mean, that shows that you know he's he's uh, ready for the season to start, and he should be a a threat once uh, we get going here at at uh, Barber uh, in. Uh, April and then uh, uh, St. Pete and then uh, the Indy Road Course as we get in uh, to the uh, Indy Car season uh, underway. But uh, also it shows that the Aero McLaren team that you know they're prepared and uh, ready to uh, get the season underway. They've done a lot of preparation. But you know I think also you know to talk about like Alexander Rossi. Um, also was quick in this. I mean, this was a day after basically the uh, 24 hours, so he didn't really get a lot of rest and still able to put up uh, the second fastest time in the race or in the uh, session. And, um, you know, he's got a little bit of adrenaline, I guess, from the Rolex 24. And uh, Askew, I mean, as well, he was pretty quick, even though um, he doesn't actually have a ride. He was just there to test the car, which was the plan. Uh, for him, I mean, I guess for whatever reason, Hinchcliffe couldn't make it to uh, the States. Maybe he's still in Canada or something, and you know the protocols wouldn't allow him to travel over to the States for uh, for for the test session. But not sure the exact reason. But I mean, he was pretty fast as well, uh, fifth on the charts, and I mean he should be in IndyCar uh, full time, uh, but he isn't for whatever reason. Um, uh, the New Garden as well, uh, third place on the charts, and uh, Colton Herta. I mean, uh, I think this could be a preview of what we see on the track uh, coming uh, in April, I guess, when the season starts. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of guys missing. Scott Dixon and the rest of Ganassi wasn't there, but still, I mean, I think if you just look at the order, uh, this looks like this is what the uh, series is going to look like as the season starts and gets underway. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at, I was trying to look at the testing they had. You're talking about two weeks ago, there was Ganassi uh, did testing with, uh, with AJ Foyt and then also Max Chilton and the Carlin team. Uh, Dixon led uh, that that test with um, Erickson and Pelot, Sebastian Bourdais coming in fourth. Of course, he is going to be running full-time in the 14 car. Um, interesting dynamic, but I think it's probably the dynamic that needs to happen. You know, you have the hard-nosed, very engineering-centric uh, Bourdais, uh, who hates losing, but it, he's uber competitive, four-time champion uh, with A.J. Foyt, who has watched his number 14 basically be dragged into the mud. Uh, you have Dalton Kellett, who's basically a ride buyer, who's kind of funding uh, things um, and sucks. Uh, so Bourdais is there to go and make them relevant, unlike Tony Kanan, uh, Sebastian Bourdais can drive road courses. Um, he can also do ovals. He's figured out how to drive short ovals very well. 
um, big ovals, Indianapolis. He's able, he's figured out Indianapolis too. He's, he's a really good talent. People who watch Formula One may say otherwise, but he's a really, he's one of the better drivers we've seen in a long time. His talent and his, his um, resume, people want to sleep on him. And he's, but he's a really good guy. Honest to God, he's a really good guy, and he's a really good race car driver. And that A.J. Foyt car is going to be doing work uh, during this season. We just don't know when, but it, it's going to happen. Um, Alexander Rossi uh, went and did. Uh, they were part of a test a couple weeks ago as well. Um, that was a separate test, which had Andretti, basically the whole Andretti Autosport gimmick along with Meyer Shank with Jack Harvey. Um, you had the one AJ Foyt car with Kellett, Chilton, um, then Ray Hall Letterman with uh, Green Rehall and um, Takuma Sato there. Alexander Rossi, Colton Herta are on pace, um, as as uh, Josh said. Uh, I think those two guys, along with Dixon, with... Um, with uh, Joseph Newgarden, with the likes of Pato Award, um, you know, like, like it makes sense that that Colton Herta and Pato Award are battling against each other after what they had to do. They had a battle against each other in Indy Lights uh, years ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, this this IndyCar season, the fact that we're gonna have to wait two and a half months before we see these cars on track for races is criminal, but it's a shame of how, you know, not only COVID, but all kinds of other things uh, going on um, in, I mean, cost uh, basis and availability of racetracks and all the safety protocols, all those things in line. Um, Award Rossi New Garden Herta, um, you know you had Rosenquist who was fast last year, won his first race. You have the Ray Hall cars are in in the in the in the kitchen. They're ready to go. Renus VK, he's he's all he's all pace. He's he doesn't know he, he he's all go. You have to back him off. So this IndyCar season is going to be. Super competitive. Hopefully they can run a full season. Hopefully they can run at Nashville, which will be the uh, Joseph Newgarden Grand Prix. Hopefully they can do some of these other street course events. Because um, IndyCar is really great competition. Uh, they employ some dumbasses like Paul Tracy, but, you know, it is what it is. You can't have everything can't be perfect here in life so we'll go and transition from sebring florida to tampa florida or tamper depending on if you have an accent or whatever if you're ronnie limo driver we'll talk about uh the super bowl super bowl 55 uh this coming sunday which will have the goat uh thomas brady uh, maggot sympathizer and ball licker and boy kisser uh, in his 10th Super Bowl with uh, now with Tampa Bay first for 
not not first time not in the um, as an NFC player, of course. Uh, after nine Super Bowls with New England, he's won six uh, by as a, as a, by himself. Of course, not by himself, but he has six Super Bowl rings. Only the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Manny. I can go and mention you on the podcast. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the only team that has six Super Bowls uh, other than the Patriots. And then um, you have uh, Kermit the Frog, the new logo, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs who get away with whatever the hell they want to do uh, because they're the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Big Red, Andy Ryad. Um He's uh, staring a possible uh, repeat, and also for Patrick Mahomes, a $500 million man who took my soul in the last, whatever, eight minutes of that Super Bowl last February after I drank a lot of um, adult beverages, uh, thinking, and I started to get the feeling that the Niners might win the game. And then Patrick Mahomes basically took my heart, my liver, and everything else. And I was depressed for a couple of weeks after that. Um, I guess initial thoughts, man. You have, I mean, I honestly thought we are going to have A.A. Ron versus Patrick Mahomes, which would have also been very interesting. But Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, with Tom Brady basically playing a home game, it's also pretty damn interesting. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting. And I think, you know, you talk about the pronouncing of uh, Tampa, or you said t- Tampa or whatever. Well, I, I think it's pronounced uh, Tampa Bay. You know, we got Tom Brady down in Tampa, Florida now, and the Bucks are going to be the, the home team. I assume wearing uh, the home uniforms, although Tom Brady seems to play better in the playoffs in white uniforms. So they need to go and get the Patriots. creamsicle. They should just yeah. go and get the creamsicles out. Because if they want to go and exercise the demons, go and wear the creamsicle orange jerseys at home with the launching all the freaking things and go and win that Super Bowl. That'll be the end of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, the Patriots in the past have worn white uniforms and in the Super or in the playoffs, and it seems like uh, they do better. I well in the Super Bowl, they do better wearing white uniforms than they do their color jerseys. But we'll see if that happens now. Uh, for the actual game itself, yeah, it's going to be a, a tough matchup with uh, the Chiefs. I mean, they've got Patrick Mahomes, who is probably the best quarterback in the league right now. I mean, he's just able to throw the ball at any distance and uh, he's got the receivers to be able to go down the field and, and, and catch the ball. And, and uh, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, they're able to just uh, scheme up the uh, offense so that they can just continue to get chunk plays after chunk plays. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is able to uh, scramble out of the pocket if he needs to and, and get first downs and, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, though. That can be costly, so we'll have to see uh, if they limit his ability to scramble and and uh, get first downs, and if you know they only want to do it if it's necessary, because uh, you definitely don't want to get taken out in the Super Bowl um, if that happened. But uh, we'll see what happens um, on the running game. I mean, you have to give a, 
uh, credit to Clyde Edwards Hilaire and uh, Williams number 31. Uh, they both of them are really good uh, running backs. Uh, I mean, I thought Edwards Edwards Hilaire is basically the uh, kind of like Maurice Jones Drew. He's the uh, short, uh, powerful back. Um, you know, he's able to be really physical while running the ball and evade tacklers. And then uh, Williams is just a really good r- rusher, and and he hasn't had a lot of carries at all really in his career. But so far in the playoffs, you know, he's been able to uh, carry the ball efficiently and and convert first downs. So their running game is pretty good too. And the wide receivers, you know, you got uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I mean, those two guys are just already enough uh, on their own. But but then, you know, you got McCauley Hardman um, and uh, also uh, Demarcus Robinson and, um, you know, all their receivers. They've just got a lot of fast receivers, although they just reported that Robinson uh, is going to be placed on the COVID-19 list ahead of the Super Bowl. So we'll see if he is able to come back and play or not, if uh, this is just a temporary thing or if he actually has the thing, but uh, the COVID, but uh, we'll see. But on defense, you know, you got uh, Chris Jones on, on the defensive line and he's just really able to move the pocket. And, you know, there's a reason why last year they paid him, uh, a lot of money to stay in and play defensive tackle. And, and uh, he, that's going to be Tom Brady's uh, probably biggest issue. There is just the ability of Chris Jones to push the pocket and uh, sack Tom Brady and also create opportunities for the other players on defensive line to uh, rush Brady and get, get sacks. Cause I, I can tell you that the, the bucks are probably going to focus a lot on protecting unlimiting uh chris jones uh there so it could open up opportunities for uh the rest of the defensive line to pressure brady which is often brady's weakness in uh playoff games and uh games in general so if you hit him enough times he starts to look a lot ordinary but i think you can say that from mahomes as well uh the difference is, is Mahomes has the ability to get himself out of the, uh, a lot of those situations with his arm strength and just his ability to uh, improvise on the run and whatnot. But for the Bucks, I mean, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, say what you want about him and everything, but the fact is he's got the rings and he, he knows how to win. So I think that's all you got to really say about him. And I think if he wins, I mean, he did say like he wants to try to play to at least 45, which I think that's been his plan for a long time with the way that he trains and uh, the way that, uh, you know, he um, prepares his body for uh, these games. I mean, he's just able to continue to uh, play and, and, um, you know, even though his plays are going to decrease a little bit, like he's um, still as good as he's ever been, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, if but if he does win this Super Bowl, I'd strongly consider retiring because there's never going to be an opportunity we can when you can uh, leave the game on on top, like literally on top after winning the Super Bowl. Um, so we'll see what happens. Because um, if next year he comes back and he's terrible or he gets hurt, you know that's not really the way you want to go out. I mean, so I think if if he wins, like maybe consider retiring. You know, but we'll see what happens. 
Um, you know, they got Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, uh, uh, Antonio Brown, uh, Chris Godwin. You know, they they're not quite as good as uh, the Chiefs receivers as far as uh, you know speediness goes and and just the ability to uh, take over the defense. But um, you know, Gronk is pretty old now, and he's basically a, a sixth offensive lineman. You know, uh, extra offensive tackle uh, who who can go up and get jump balls still, I guess. Uh, Mike Evans, I mean, he's been around for a while, and, and I think he's still pretty good. Uh, Antonio Brown's a little bit washed up too, but he, he's um, had the ability to make plays still. Chris Godwin is uh, can be good at times, and then there's other times where he's not as good. But, I mean, he's definitely a solid player and a solid uh, wide receiver. So I think... Um, they're going to be able to have some matchup uh, potential as well uh, for uh, the Bucks offense. So I think I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of action between those guys, and then of course the running backs, um, Leonard Fournette, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting oh, uh, just I mean he's he's been a really good guy overall um, this season. I mean he hasn't gotten a lot of yards but he's been able to get touchdowns and that's why that's why they call him uh playoff lenny uh because in the playoffs he's ronald just been jones, able to yeah well. yeah ronald jones yeah i couldn't remember him but you know he's he, jones as well as a better i think he's better than fournette like being able to actually move the ball but fournette's just a powerful runner and i i feel like he's still really good inside the 10 yard line if you can give him the ball, he's good in short yard situations. And I mean, as a receiver, I mean, he did drop the ball several times early on in the a- NFC championship game. But uh, when he was in Jacksonville, I mean, he was a fairly decent screen runner uh, or screen pass catcher. And uh, so I think if they feature him a lot in the screen game, then he could be a um, a, g- a good force there. So we'll see. And then you know, defensively, you got Anton Winfield, uh, Levante David, uh, Devin White. I mean, they've got a, a solid linebacking core in general. And then, you know, on the defensive line, you know, you got Ndamukong still, uh, still trying to get a ring. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul trying to get another ring. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of good guys on that team. I mean, they're a little bit older than the Chiefs defense, I think. But uh, the Defensive line, linebacking core, I think is really good with the Bucks and and should give Patrick Mahomes a lot of challenges. Uh, the secondary is very young, so it's going to be really tough to uh, keep the uh, Chiefs wide receivers and tight ends and even the running backs from making a lot of damage and impact in the in the passing game. So it's going to be interesting to see the uh, the way the matchups play out and if uh, the Bucks and or if the Chiefs can exploit their coverages and and all that, but I'll I'll be curious to see the kind of game plan that uh, Andy Reid, Bienemy, and uh, the Chiefs can can come up with, as well as with uh, uh, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, if if they're able to have a balanced passing game and not do uh, too many deep shots like they did in the NFC Championship game, because I think that was a, a lot of the reason why Tom Brady threw uh, three picks and three straight drives is because they they just kept calling long balls and and they weren't uh, diver- diversifying enough in the passing game, but it's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I think for me, I'm. I think the Chiefs are probably going to 
uh, edge out the the Bucks, but I mean, I want the Bucks to win. So uh, just you know, the Florida team, uh, Tom Brady and Leonard Fournette. I mean, those are the reasons why I want them to win. Yeah, it's there. You brought up a lot of great points. Went over the whole entire um, both teams, honestly, and what they bring to the table. Um, everyone's going to focus on the quarterbacks, but it's one in the trenches. It's one uh, when it comes to offensive line play. It's one in terms of defensive line play. Uh, Chris Jones, I forget the other cocksucker that talks a lot of shit um, every time for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if it's Chris Jones. some other Frank Clark. I want somebody there. There are certain people. And it's usually with like the Kansas City Chiefs that I want somebody to like cut them low or go and high low them. Frank Clark's one of those people because he's a he's a bitch and he talks a lot of shit and somebody just needs to do that to him. Because here's the thing. Nobody wants that to happen to Patrick Mahomes. There might be people that wish it. And when you're really mad, you might want to go. But at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes is a really effing good player and a person. Um, he's going to make mulatto babies, so God bless him. Going that Jason Kidd route, so it's all good. Um, you know, like, he's he's great. I mean, it's annoying as fuck watching him play and destroy every defense because the league doesn't call penalties anymore when they're playing at least. I think Travis Kelsey probably commits PIs on every play, which also helps with why he's the best receiving tight end in the NFL. Notice that I said receiving tight end because that's what he is. He's a burly. He's he's Rob Gronkowski, except he's a one dimensional like even at Rob Gronkowski's best, like when he was actually fully functional he was a two-way player. Like, he could block out, but then who knew what New England's offense was? Like, he could make blocks, and he could do all that, but he was also an amazing pass catcher. Travis Kelsey, yeah, he can block, but he's there as a big... He's basically that big man that's going to go and get the ball and do work like it's basketball. That's what Travis Kelsey is. People want to talk about he went and broke George Kittle's record. I had hoped he'd be able to break George Kittle's record. He has Patrick Mahomes, and he was able to play 16 games. Frickin' George Kittle broke the record with three games of Jimmy Garoppolo. He had, what the fuck's his name? Uh, uh, what the hell? Uh, I'm forgetting. Um, C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins, somebody's mom. And he went and set the all-time record for tight ends in in receiving yards. If GK could stay on the field and he had a legitimate quarterback that they wouldn't have to go and give up the farm for, he'd go and be able to get like 1,800 yards. Uh, uh, I mean, it's – sorry, I'm going off on a Niners tangent. uh, But the reality is – He's a better player. He's a better overall player than than Travis Kelsey. Everyone talks about Travis Kelsey, his fashion, all this, and he gets a PR. But GK is a tight end. He plays the position the right way, 
the full thing. Fundamentally, Kansas City doesn't ask them to do all that because they don't need them to go and do all kinds of blocks because they run an outside whatever uh, zone game or whatever the hell they do with their run game. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, it's funny. There's former Pittsburgh Steelers that are in this game. Uh, Le'Veon Bell that's trying to go, former Jets, whatever. They're all trying to go and get a Super Bowl. If he can go and get that. you have a lot of pieces there. Um, Bruce Arians, I wonder, honestly, if, if he gets this, I, I wonder if he sticks because he's got health problems. Uh, he has two assistants, uh, African-American assistants in Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich, who are um, worthy um, head coaching candidates in a league where uh, they don't seem to hire um, African-American uh, coaches for head coaching jobs. Raheem Morris was a head coach in Tampa and got ran out of town. He was in Atlanta. He should have been hired as Atlanta's coach, but they didn't do that. Um, I wonder if Tampa somehow or another pulls this out, uh, if Bruce Arians walks off. Um I I mean, I think Tom Brady will stick around for as long as he wants because the Glazer family will pay him. Um, Fundamentally, when you look at uh, their franchise and as long as they've owned the franchise, they picked them up when it was the 90s, when they, Tony Dungy and Rich McKay built this team up and they got Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, John Lynch, the whole bit there and hopefully John Lynch gets in the Hall of Fame and it has nothing to do with my Niners bias it's because John Lynch is a Hall of Famer uh, as a player Um, and I hope the bastard actually starts having some balls and making some moves and uh, gets us a quarterback that'll actually be on the field for 16 games so that the Niners can be back in this game next year um, in Los Angeles instead of Matthew Stafford and the LA Rams or Justin Herbert and the Chargers who inhabit that stadium, uh, they, they could go to LA and go and win that sixth Super Bowl that's been sitting there for 20 plus years and let me off the hook so I don't have to feel guilty about it for my own personal health and well-being. Um, I mean, it's at the end of the day, to me, it's can Tampa Bay's defense do what nobody else has been able to do, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Buffalo, you know, you know, pick your Baltimore, whoever. Are you able to go and hold Kansas City down? long enough to where your offense, where you have, in the in Tampa's case, you have the GOAT. Can you get up three touchdowns? Can you get up four touchdowns, five touchdowns, whatever? Can you make it out of reach so that even Patrick Mahomes can't score in one or two minutes and won't matter? Like, they have one of the best kickers and brother Knight Harrison Butker do some onside gimmicks. 
They're, the, the point is Kansas City, their defense is a bend but don't break. Tyron Matthews, one of the best players in the league. He's the face of their defense. Their linebackers or whatever. You know, their defensive line kind of gets talked, whatever, with the Chris uh, guy that um, that uh, you said. Um, Williams? Uh, the 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 defensive lineman. Oh, Chris Jones, uh, yeah. Yeah, Chris Jones. I mean, you got, uh, you know, like there's other guys, but really the, their game is b- based on bend but don't break and let Patrick Mahomes do the work. And the Niners had a great game plan, rushing four, putting back seven. They were able to make it work with, with – Kyle Shanahan, Bob Sala for around 50-something minutes of that game. They weren't able to execute enough on offense to get enough points for one one thing, and then they weren't able to make stops, Bob Sala and company, there in the last seven, eight minutes of that football game. And Kansas City Chiefs put 21 points on the board, and it went from... Uh, 17 to 10 game to um, 31 to 17, and it didn't even look like it was there in the same zip code. Uh, so fundamentally, to me, I, I just don't know how Tampa Bay is going to be able to stop this. And it's Tom Brady, and I and I've picked, I've been for Tom Brady, and honestly. I'm going to do this just to be different because I know Josh went and picked Kansas City. I'm just going to go and pick Tampa Bay just because of Tom Brady. But I've picked Tom Brady against the Giants twice, and he lost. I was glad to be in Minnesota and watch him throw for 500-plus yards and still lose to effing Nick Foles. And I froze my ass off, and I was drunk off my ass paying for $12 fucking Bud Lights or whatever the hell I was paying for in in U, U.S. Bank Stadium. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know how the hell Tom Brady does this. I really don't. I mean, unlike last week or a couple weeks ago at Green Bay, because whatever, Matt LaFleur is not as good of a coach as people want to build him up to be, or Aaron with all the malfunctions that Aaron has. How do you fade? How do you fade Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Ryad, Eric Bieniemy, and this offense? There's too many pieces there, and it doesn't even have to be Patrick Mahomes playing well because MFR did not play well for most of that Super Bowl. Still won the MVP. But he didn't play well most of that Super Bowl. Jimmy G was a better quarterback for most of that game. You could have talked about the running backs, whether it was most or it was you, you look at um, Debo Samuel was the MVP for a lot of that game. check other people, GK, they called a bullshit pass interference call on GK, which they'll only call on San Francisco or 
certain teams. They won't call that on Kansas City or Baltimore or the Giants or certain teams. Um, I'm curious to see how they call this game. Uh, how they call this game might determine who wins this game. I'm going to take Tampa for the sake of, you know, being different. Uh, but I honestly don't know how uh, Kansas City, unless they're, or I mean, how Kansas City loses this game, unless Tampa is able to go and take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And we will see. And we will talk about it here uh, next week uh, as we also preview the uh, Daytona 500 and other uh, things going on here in NASCAR Speed Week, which is literally five days uh, because Wednesday, next Wednesday, will be uh, the the 10th will be qualifying for the 500. The following day will be the duels, then trucks, Xfinity along with ARCA, then the Daytona 500. So it'll be a very quick speed week. Um, And we'll talk about the Super Bowl as well. Somewhere along in there, we'll also... um, Working on a guest, maybe might get some other people on to talk Daytona 500, uh, talk NASCAR preview. We'll go and do a true deep dive, all three series preview here on the GSP um, and give you what you need to know as we get into the 2021 NASCAR season. Uh, But before we go tonight, uh, Josh, I want to throw to you. Uh, let us know where you can go follow you and where you can go see your streams uh, on iRacing. Yeah, as always, uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at JP Healthline and then also on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash usailor2. That's where we're going to have the iRacing streams. Did a bit of streaming this weekend with uh, uh, the NASCAR Legends uh, series. That's the 1987 NASCAR uh, race cars at Michigan and then did some uh, sports car racing uh, at the old Daytona race, uh, road course uh, before the repave and won a couple of races there. So that was good. Uh, and then this week we'll be trying to do some Xfinity at Indianapolis and maybe some IndyCar at Iowa Speedway uh, on the ovals. Um, and then Leading up in the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll try to make a run at the iRacing Daytona 500, and uh, we'll see if we're able to get into that race. Uh, and that's well, there there'll be multiple editions. It's not going to be one big race. There'll be like different splits and everything. And I think like the top split is like you know all the the top rated people on iRacing, but uh, who are going to try to make an entry. But I mean there'll be. Uh, multiple attempts or multiple races and i'll try to get into one of them uh for that so be on the lookout for that we'll uh probably have this uh paint scheme for that uh, soon and then uh, we'll try to get in the race and hopefully we do this time yeah we need to run a little gsp scheme because we weren't able to get into the 500 as competitive though uh, hopefully, whatever split you're able to get into, 
in the, or the Indy 500. We can get into the Daytona 500. I'm sure the duels, unlike the duels that we're going to have here in a week and a little over a week's time, will be a lot more competitive. Uh, but I feel like you'll be able to make it into the show uh, in the cup car. And uh, we will see. And hopefully you can go follow uh, Josh on at JP Huffine and you sailor too on Twitch for his streams. And um, I'll follow, I'll go and watch uh, depending on the day, if my work isn't interfering or whatever else, because um, I'm always running around these days, whether it's, whether it's a show, whether it's uh, talking in circles, whether it's work, whether it's uh, bowling, um, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find us at Gripstrip Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're on uh, we're on uh, uh, Podbean with the the Gripstrip Podcast. We're also on most places where you can go and find podcasts, whether it's uh, Amazon Music. Uh, you can find us in other places as well uh, where uh, podcasts are found at uh, Grip Strip Podcast. So we thank you for listening to us tonight. We'll be back later this week with Jeff Brown to do a little NASCAR bench racing, Northeast style uh, for my uh, for my history and also his great knowledge and we can go and get into the whole NASCAR preview deal that we're going to be getting into as we go on to next week and Daytona since Daytona is here. We're only 13 days away as we're recording the show uh, from the Daytona 500. So um, NASCAR season's here, longest season there is in sports and uh, the off season is soon ending in regards to NASCAR at least. Uh, we will see about other motorsport series, but uh, we thank you for listening to the Gripster podcast. Please uh, download, uh, give us a like, go and let us know what you want to hear. Uh, thanks to Josh, as always, for being my uh, sidekick and taking care of me. And uh, stay safe, social distance, wear a mask, take care of one another. God bless. Good night.